today, many active Christians are older people. The average age of an American who identifies as being Christian is apparently around 55 or 60, although it's hard to get hold of solid numbers. The average age of someone who attends a church regularly, I believe, is older than this. In many ways, the task of holding the faith, of keeping it alive for future generations, is up to older people. There's a large forested area up in the Rockies, on the edge of the National Park there, that's managed by the YMCA of the Rockies. Our family has been going there twice a year for about 30 years. In truth, it's become very expensive, but still it's a beautiful place. And my wife and I were up there for a couple days several months ago. We met a man there. He was perhaps 90 years old, I'm not sure. He was using a wheelchair. Wendy was off doing something else, perhaps in the pottery shop. I was in front of the main building. There were large planters around us filled with blooming colorful flowers and in front of us was a stunning view of the mountains. But he wasn't paying any attention to that. He was reading his Bible. I squatted down next to him and said hi. He placed a bookmark in his Bible. It had at least 20 bookmarks in it. And he turned to me. Let's call him Eddie. Eddie and I talked for about 15 minutes. I complimented him on his well-worn Bible, a new King James Version. He said that he went through a Bible every few years, and when it became too filled with notes of his, he would pass it on to one of his great-grandchildren. When they were in elementary school, they would have a great time reading his comments written in the margins of the Bible and figuring out what they meant. They studied the Bible without even knowing it at first. He said that there had been a time when he taught Sunday school at his church and that he taught high school kids. He told me that he had been in a wheelchair since the Korean War, that it hadn't stopped him from raising his kids, earning a living as an engineer, and teaching kids the Bible for over half a century. He said that he would sit in a corner in the Sunday school room and the kids would come to him for individual assignments. To get their assignments, they would take turns sitting next to him in a chair. Mr. Eddie would give them each a different passage. Their job was to read and research it. Then the entire group would come back to him and they would discuss the various passages he had assigned to the kids. But he said a couple of years ago, he had had to finally stop teaching Sunday school. The problem wasn't him. There were no more high school students in the Sunday school program at his church. I asked him what he was reading in his Bible when I came up to him. 
He rolled his wheelchair over to one of the large planters so that I could sit on the edge of it and not have to squat. Then he said that he was trying to find inspiration from Joshua. He showed me the very beginning of the book of Joshua. Joshua took over after Moses died at the entrance to the promised land. The chosen people had wandered in the desert for 40 years with an entirely new generation of followers of God being born and coming of age in the desert. Moses had preached to them extensively, bringing them up to speed on the teachings of God. Then Moses died. God had promised his people progeny, his blessing, and their own land to live on. The people of God would no longer be wanderers. It was Joshua who was commanded by God to invade Canaan, slaughter its pagan inhabitants, and claim the land. The Canaanites had to be killed so that the people of God would not be tempted to adopt their beliefs. Now, this may well be a faith story, not fully actual history. It illustrates the dependability of God when it comes to keeping God's promises to us. As long as we keep our side of the bargain, God will be loyal to us. There's scientific evidence that does strongly suggest that the Canaanites were not slaughtered and that perhaps the chosen people ended up living alongside them. But what's important here is that perhaps the most significant event in the history of the chosen people is about to unfold. They are finally going to have the home God promised them. Joshua and his people stand before the Jordan River. They will cross it and enter Canaan. Here's a condensed form of the beginning of the book of Joshua. The book is named after the primary character in the story told in the book. After the death of Moses, the Lord said to Joshua, Now go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I've given to them. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I've given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give you. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We see that 
God commands Joshua to carry out his promise made to Joshua's ancestors that they will have their own land, their own home. God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. He's to remember to follow the book of the law. It's believed that this is a reference to the Pentateuch or Torah, the first five books of what we call the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. Most importantly, the book of the law contains the covenant between God and Moses, including the Ten Commandments. As the people of God enter the promised land, which will be renamed Israel, they must never depart from the path upon which God has set them. They are to never waver. They must read scripture aloud. They must think about it day and night so that they never break their covenant with God. And they have nothing to be afraid of because God will be with them wherever they go. As a little bit of background, the book of Joshua shows signs of having been written by multiple authors and then heavily edited. We have no idea who wrote it. The book of Joshua tells us about God's unlimited love for us, his determination to treat people with grace and forgiveness. It focuses heavily on the power of God. The book of Joshua tells us that if we're obedient to God's commands, we'll find spiritual success. But if we're disobedient, we'll find spiritual failure. God grants us amazing gifts. We honor God by being responsible in our moral and ethical behavior. It's believed that the events in the book of Joshua happened in the late 13th century BC. The book of Joshua most likely evolved over a long period of time, and it probably did not appear in its current form until the 6th or 7th centuries BC. There are those who believe it wasn't completed until the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC. At any extent, it's clear that the book of Joshua was written at least 600 years after the events that it describes took place. You can see how the content of the book might not reflect total literal history, especially when we consider the fact that the Bible authors were not focused the way modern people are on very cleanly separating complete factual history from spiritual history. Eddie, the man who taught the Bible to young people for over a half century, told me that he loves the book of Joshua because it tells the story of a people about to confront an extraordinarily dangerous event, a war where they would face mighty and numerous opponents. They're given the following marching orders. Trust God, don't be afraid, act with courage, and never, never stop reading, meditating on, and following the Word of God. That was how he had tried to live his life, he told me. Then Eddie looked up at me and he said that it was my turn to suggest a Bible passage for us to study. I chose Psalm 92. Here are verses 12 to 15. The righteous flourish like the palm tree 
and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 92 is labeled in the book of Psalms as a song to be sung on the Sabbath and that it should be offered up as a thanksgiving to God. It is the only psalm dedicated to the Sabbath. It urges us to renew our connection with God and to always praise God. It tells us that God will vanquish our enemies and provide a safe place for us to honor God. It tells us that we will always recover from loss that will never be left destitute. The psalm also includes instructions to those who do evil. In our passage, we see words intended for those who want to live righteously, to live according to the will of God. Verses 12 to 15 tell us that if we honor God in our lives, we will flourish spiritually like a palm tree in the desert, or like a cedar tree, which can grow to great heights and have very deep roots. The righteous also live in the house of God, not in the house of men. And the righteous, unlike those who do not live by the laws of God, still bear spiritual fruit in their old age, they never lose their sap, and they're always green with life. To those who live according to God's will, God is always their rock throughout their lives. I told Eddie that he'll always bear fruit, that just because his time as a Sunday school teacher is over doesn't mean that he's no longer declaring to others that God should be their rock too. I can't tell you what became of Eddie not long after we talked about Joshua and the Psalms. His granddaughter collected him up and rolled his chair away. As he left without looking back toward me, he lifted his hand and waved goodbye. I never saw him again. We all can learn from Eddie. Those of us who are of the older generation we must stand like a palm tree in the desert. We must have deep roots and remain green, full of life like an ancient cedar. We can't decide that it's time to retire, to shut down, to let younger people pick up the torch and pass on the word of God. We are needed. Unlike older people in previous generations, it's crucial that we continue to serve Consider these words from our passage from Joshua. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now, without going into a geography and history lesson, this is a much larger area than is believed was ever controlled by the Israelites. P. 
people have wondered if perhaps by not gaining all this territory, Joshua's people failed and did not do as God commanded. Others have argued that there's actually archaeological and literary evidence that indicates that the chosen people, the 12 tribes of Israel, once commanded much of this greater area. Others have suggested that this language is poetic, not to be taken literally, and that it tells us that we're to spread the faith as far as we can, that there's no earthly bounds to the land of the believers. We are not to create a global theocracy. Rather, we are to look as far as we can in every direction, and even this is not the limit of where we can carry the word of God. Remember that Job was the man who was tested by Satan in the most gruesome ways. He lost his home, his children, his property, absolutely everything. But he never lost his trust in God. He refused to curse God. He stuck to his belief that God would always be with him. In the middle of his trials, Job declares this, Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. Job never forgets that we're all in the hands of God that every breath we take is a gift from God. He also knows that as we age, we become wiser, that our understanding of the world and of God's ways increase. What Job might not have known is that the day would come when the wisdom of the aged would be so critical to the survival of the faith. <laughs>